you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, welcome back. I'm Jo. I'm Lucy. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. Today's guest is going to talk to us about fertility. From speaking to lots of you in our Facebook community, we know that a common issue that lots of you are facing at the moment is secondary infertility, which is where you have difficulty conceiving after you've already had a successful pregnancy. Now, even if you aren't dealing with fertility issues yourself, I'm sure you will still get value out of this conversation. We talk about things like stress, what it is and how we can identify whether we are stressed. A lot of us may be in denial about that one. I was slash am. (laughs) And we talk about food and exercise too, which is another thing that some of us are probably in denial about. (laughs) Yes. So our guest today is fertility specialist Gabriella Rosa. Gabriella is the founder and director of Natural Fertility Breakthrough and the host of the Fertility Challenge, an online event that has now helped educate and inspire over 53,000 people to take charge of their fertility and to create healthy babies. Gabriella has a unique methodology, which is called the Fertile Method, and it underpins all of her successful fertility programs. At the end of the episode, we'll give you some links or you can also find them in the show notes to see her method and learn more about it. Gabrielle is also an author and the mother of two healthy babies that she conceived by walking her own talk. Hi, Gabriella. Welcome to The Juggle. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. And we're very excited to have you. So people expect that fertility issues are only faced by people who are trying to conceive their first child. I've discovered that this is actually a very common misconception and that it is quite common for people to have difficulty getting pregnant the second time around or with subsequent children. We know from speaking to our listeners that this is something that quite a few of them are facing at the moment. So can you tell us about secondary fertility? What is it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, look, infertility in general is the inability to conceive after 12 months of trying with, you know, un- unprotected intercourse, so to speak. And secondary infertility is where you have been trying for that period of time and you haven't been able to conceive. However, you have a child that was conceived previously. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, one in six couples suffers a challenge in conception. Mm, that's a lot. It is. It's, it's a lot. And it happens often for a variety of reasons. 40% is to do with male factor, 40% to do with female factor, and 20% is the luck of the draw. It's the unexplained. And I love that phrase. You hear that all the time, don't you? Unexplained infertility. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't tell you. It's actually one of my biggest pet peeves of the whole you universe. It's the unexplaining fertility because ultimately it's really, you know, fertility challenges are not unexplained. It's just that nobody has actually taken the time to go through and understand and properly assess, you know, a situation. And so that's what ends up happening. But it's one of those things that gets thrown around a lot. I would add to that from my own experience as well, that people I think are looking in the wrong places for fertility advice. GPs, for example, I have spoken to countless GPs about fertility and being given countless different pieces of advice, most of which I just think were actually not right. 
Yeah, and that unfortunately happens a lot because, you know, as you can imagine, GPs, they've got a broad spectrum of information that they accumulate and that they've got to use in their day-to-day. It's certainly not their expertise. And so often they're not understanding of the tests, of what it means, the results, and all of that kind of things. So tell us about the approach that you've come up with and you use a natural method as opposed to having you know training as a medical doctor so what is your fertile method tell us about it yeah it's actually interesting that you you mentioned that because I am trained as a naturopath and I also have a master's in reproductive medicine and human genetics so it's almost like what we're doing is we're blending the best of both worlds in terms of science and self-care we do have patients who need to go down the IVF path so it's not like we're um, you know, completely away from that s- sphere of, of um, experience and, and understanding. But the predominant things that we look at and that we do for our patients is looking at a very holistic picture of what their health is actually doing. You know, we're really looking at the physical aspects, the emotional aspects, the biochemical issues that are getting in the way. And so I've devised the fertile method, which is really all about understanding what is getting in the way first and foremost. I talk about this concept that at peak fertility, this is actually a concept that arose from fertility treatment in IVF clinics, that you know these minor factors that can get in the way, and a minor factor can be anything from somebody might have endometriosis, or they might have PCOS, or they might have morphology issues in terms of sperm, or not enough sperm or whatever, Mm. right? So all of those, they count, so to speak, as a minor factor. What we know is that a couple at peak fertility will have an average of three months time to pregnancy. You add just one of those minor factors into the equation and all of a sudden we go from an average time to pregnancy of three months to an average of two years. Wow. Wow. It completely compounds the effect. You then add a second minor factor to that and we go from two years to seven years. And a third gives us an average of 40 years time to pregnancy. No one has 40 years to get pregnant. (laughs) The reality is that many couples that we see will often have between 20 and 80 minor factors that are getting in the way. So it's a really big, broad spectrum of impact that these seemingly not so complex things can actually have on a couple's chances of conception. So we really then need to look at it and focus on what is the 20% of the effort that's going to give us 80% of the result. And of course, fact finding what's wrong and what's not Mm -hmm. quite right is always going to be the most important thing. It's going to be the number one thing. If we don't have that we really don't have an outcome. We then really focus on educating our patients, you know, making sure that we're making the right recommendations for them and that is going to be in line with something that's actually going to treat the problem and not just kind of up here on the surface, but really focusing on that in-depth understanding of what's required. Then, of course, there is the time that it needs for all of that to work and, and that's the incubation period. Meanwhile, what we're hoping for is that patients who have been trying to conceive for a period of time without success, sometimes they become really anxious, upset, you know, sometimes even depressed, you know, about their kind of situation in life. And that liberation of those feelings is really important, you know, throughout the process. And then, of course, the end result, which is really only the beginning. (laughs) So that's what the fertile method entails, so to speak, but it's very customized and personalized to each couple. And so your fertile method steps sets out, I think, as I understand it, 11 steps or 11 factors. Are they designed to 
narrow down on these minor factors and see which ones are going to be an issue for people? Yeah, it's, it's almost like a, it's a good framework. Um, and, you know, the 11 pillars of fertility are looking at the different areas and they range. Say if you go to IVF, they're going to be looking really at two things. Female reproductive health as a number one, and that's probably going to be where they're going to spend 95% of the time between, I would say, probably 95 and (laughs) 99.5. And the second is obviously male fertility. And you'd be surprised at the number of people who seek treatment at a fertility clinic who go in as a couple and the woman gets sent to get investigated and the man literally doesn't even get asked to do a semen analysis. Really? And let alone a blood test. Yeah, this happens very frequently, unfortunately. The blame, so to speak, almost gets placed on to the woman, but the reality of what we know by the beginning of this conversation is that it's a 40-40-20, yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, thank God we live in this day and age rather than, you know, a few hundred years ago when you got divorced or had your head chopped off if you couldn't produce a child. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So we're very lucky. But, you know, we're looking at a variety of different things from lifestyle factors to self-care to you name it. It's really just very in-depth looking at it or every aspect of a holistic person because it's we're not just uteruses walking around. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are many factors that get in the way. So one of the issues that you say comes up for women trying to conceive is stress. Mm, yeah. So, and I think that it, it's for men and women. You know, men are very much better, I think, sometimes and I do say sometimes because in certain instances this is not true, but compartmentalising the whole situation. They often, and I have about 2,000 conversations with couples every year, you know, that are interested in our program, and what happens is that I often hear this whole concept that the man, you ask the woman, so how are you feeling about this whole situation? You know, how is this impacting you? And they will say, it, and let's put it on a scale. Let's say, you know, 10 is... I think about this all the time and this whole situation is bringing me down or it has brought me down and they will tell me like eight or nine or ten, right? And then you ask the man and they're like, oh, it's five. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because I can so relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're talking about stress. I've been seeing an acupuncturist for fertility treatment and the first thing he asked me, one of the first things he asked me when I saw him a few months ago was whether I was stressed. And my response was, no, I'm not stressed. I'm really happy other than this baby thing. I'm in a really good place. And he disagreed. He said, well, you're wrong. You are stressed. I can see it just by looking at you. And he explained to me about how stress was held in my body as opposed to being the mental stress that I kind of understand stress to be. So can you explain to us what is stress? What does it actually mean from a fertility perspective? Yeah, look, it's a great question. And, you know, stress, it's one of those very insidious things. There's two things to this. One, it's about perception. Perception of stress is actually very much a factor and it's scientifically documented that people who have the most health issues related to stress are the people who perceive they are stressed. (laughs) Um, Although it's not to say that you're not going to develop health conditions from not perceiving, you know, not being aware that you are stressed. But how we perceive our stress makes a very big difference. And I think that there are some really great books around talking about this whole concept that when we have a stressful situation, we can respond to it in different ways. And there is this whole aspect of post-traumatic growth that can come from stressful situations. But I think we have to be very um, clear about understanding that our body still reacts very much like it did 10,000 years ago when we are even amidst a paper cut 
it still thinks that we are back there where we're running away from the saber-toothed tiger, right? So whether we perceive that we are stressed or not, what's going to happen is that our bodies will have this need for adapting at any given moment. And work situations obviously create a lot of uh, that demand of having to adapt, having to respond to deadlines, have to respond to a boss, having to respond to all the kind of like office dramas that go on and, and the politics in some work environments. All of those things are actually going to have a huge impact on the way that the body works. And going back to, you know, how the body did operate 10,000 years ago when ran, running away from the saber-toothed tiger, it very much shut down any organ system that wasn't essential for warding off immediate danger. So if we think about it, what happens is that when you're running away from the saber-toothed tiger, you're not going to worry about immunity. I mean, who really cares about immunity? Because the little bug inside of you isn't going to eat you as quickly as the one that is running after you. So you just shut that down. Yeah. The next thing is obviously um, digestion. Why would you want to digest your food when you're about to become food? So <laughs> that's really not a thing. And then, of course, fertility. You wouldn't even dream of thinking of having sex, let alone wanting to have a baby, when you're about to run away from the saber-toothed tiger. So shut down those systems altogether. We'll deal with it when we can. The truth is that back then we had the peak of the stress response and then of course you know we either ran away or we became food and therefore it was all resolved regardless but um, once the immediate threat and the immediate danger was away we were able to reset our systems were able to just kind of reset rebalance and we could continue on with life whereas that's the problem now exactly yeah. so these days again we may be dealing with the deadline that's kind of coming up at lunchtime. We know that after that we have another five of those that we're going to need to figure out and we still have to figure out what are we going to cook for dinner and what panel is going to get home <laughs> if we get such cooking and then whether the kids are actually going to be in a good mood or whether you're going to be having to tear them down from the curtains in the middle of the <laughs> and, you know, what's going to happen after that. So, you know, all of those things create a very different environment for our biochemistry that we have to learn to, to regulate. So what do we do about it? How do we reduce stress? I mean, it's not practical necessarily for all of us to just quit our jobs while we're trying to conceive a baby. Although people have done that. Yeah, yeah. But what do we do? Yeah, no, like, I think that's a really great question. And I think that it's follow your bliss is a really good thing in this whole process is actually figuring out, you know, what are the things that I need to either believe, think, get rid of, put into my life, change so that I actually feel at my best. If there was one thing, I know that, you know, personally, when I was trying to conceive my second child, I went through a period of about 17 months that it was really difficult to make that happen. And I thought, you know, I don't want to become one of my patients who is completely and totally focused and yeah. Nothing else matters in life than having a baby. I thought that I, I really wanted to keep a balanced perspective on my life. So I took up quilting. <laughs> ah, I've done that too. I love it. Well, it's fantastic. I love it. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful craft. But um, the thing about it is that it enabled me first, the, the actual doing of that handy work kept me in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. It kept me focused on what it is, that next stitch, that next thing that I was doing, that next kind of like 
there's just being focused on what was happening there, not focused on what was happening in my mind and spiraling out of control. And I think that often that's really what we need to get a handle of to begin with. You know, it's like in any situation that this doesn't even have to be to do with conception, this in any given circumstance, what is it that we need to believe differently to what Mm. we're believing right now that is going to make me feel either good about myself or feel better about what's going on? I really like your example about taking up quilting. And the reason why I love it so much is because what we so often hear when we tell people about difficulties with conception is, oh, you're doing too much. You can't get pregnant when you're doing so much. You need to do less. But you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not about doing less. It's about doing the things that you enjoy. And so for you, taking up quilting meant that you were taking your mind off of conception for you know even if just a short while but that had such a profound impact on your body and doing it mindfully right because as you say in the moment when it comes to the quilting that it's not allowing you time to have your mind wandering with other things yeah and I think there are two things to this and there are two very important things to this you have to have the right strategy and that's the thing for me I knew as a fertility specialist I knew I had the right strategy I said I knew that it was going to be a matter of time And what I didn't want to do is get caught up in, I knew that I was doing the right things, right? And then therefore, with knowing what I know, eventually I was going to get a result. That part for me was sorted. And I think that sometimes for patients, that is not sorted, Mm. right? And I think that that's an important piece to really get right. But because I knew that it was no longer within my control, what needed to happen there, I then thought, okay, what is the thing that I can control? And that was my mind spiraling off control Mm -hmm. in this whole kind of unhappy feeling of, you know, I can't do what I want to do and I'm taking too long, I'm running out of time and whatever else. And so from that perspective, I just decided to disconnect from that and go, I'm going to go and create and very deliberately picked quilting right because I could have done anything but I picked quilting because one it was a low toxicity hobby (laughs) actually (laughs) and you know a lot of people like they go and do lead lighting don't go to that yeah (laughs) (laughs) fertility but you know like quilting it was a low toxicity thing it also was something that was creating something that was beautiful Mm -hmm. at the end of the day having a baby is all about creating a life right it's about creating something that's beautiful so I thought well I'm going to go and start creating that in advance of Right. And that worked really well for me. So another issue that's often thrown around with fertility is is your health, you know, general food and exercise issues. I tend to find looking around that there seems to be a reasonable commonness amongst the women that I associate with that our health tends to slip after we have a child. Is that something that is also a cause and a risk that it's just forgetfulness in some respects a hundred percent and and looking I think that it's very real and I'm sure that many of the women listening to this conversation they'll be nodding their heads going yeah I know (laughs) I I feel exactly the same way and you know it's it's unfortunately what happens is that we do as much as we tell ourselves that we are not going to let ourselves go a little bit by the wayside and we focus all of our attention on our kids and the family and the things that we need to get done and the deadlines and all the things that you have to meet for that and it's easy to start to just go okay I need energy I'm just going to pick up a coffee or I'm going to get some chocolate or I'm going to do the things that are going to provide quick wins but not so much a long-term benefit and we stumble across that path a little bit and I find 
personally, I, I've been on a little bit of a personal mission in the last two years to get my health back. One of the interesting things about habits is that they get built upon the things that we do day to day. And often what we need to figure out is we have to be strategic in terms of our health, just as much as we are about our work, our careers, our businesses. And, you know, you've got to kind of line things up that go together. So for example, if you know that for you, one of the things that makes you feel great is to go and exercise, make sure that in the morning you're stumbling upon your joggers as you get out of your bedroom and your clothes are just like nearby so they pin them (laughs) them and just get out the door yeah so whatever's actually going to help that happen like you know for example taking your supplements a lot of people go oh I forget to take my supplements well you know one of the best things that you can do is actually just get a little bowl put everything that you've got to take for the day inside there put on your desk Mm, yeah so that way it's staring you in the face (laughs) and you really are going to know that it's it's there you're going to take it One of the things specifically around food and exercise that I wanted to ask you about was coffee because I read a blog post on your website about coffee. No, in fact, you tell me what you you tell us. (laughs) Well, look, it's actually really quite fascinating and and fabulous and interesting that you're asking me this question about coffee because we've spent a lot of time going through and doing pretty much a systematic review of the scientific literature to figure out what is the thing about coffee. And we put together an amazing infographic about all of the impact that it has. And it really does have such a significant impact on a woman's health and a male's health and on a baby's health. One of the things that I think is not very well known and I say, I said this to my research assistant who was helping me with putting this diagram together. I said to her, look, I have a real problem when I see women out there in the real world with a newborn baby and a cup of coffee in hand. Like to say that I want to be a little bit violent <laughs> and, and nap that cup of coffee off their hand is probably an understatement. Is this a breastfeeding issue? Are you thinking about coffee trans? you know, moving from mother to child or are you just meaning generally to the woman's health? No, well, look, you know, as we know, coffee for both, for all of the above, it's going to be an issue. And I know that I jumped ahead a little bit in terms of, you know, the baby and the breastfeeding, but ultimately we know that coffee absolutely negatively impacts hormonal balance. It impacts nutritional status in the body. It has an impact directly negatively impacting sperm health, as well as it will have an impact on a woman's reproductive cycle. And of course, we know that it decreases the chance of implantation from occurring. So the risk of implantation failure and miscarriage are much increased. Science actually shows us that caffeine consumption increases the risk of stillbirth by 19%. Women who consume four or more cups of coffee a day have an increased risk of stillbirth by almost 80%. And these things obviously are not even discussed, but here's the thing that really makes me want to snap a, a coffee out of a woman's hand when, when she's uh, breastfeeding and, and has a baby, is that essentially the half-life of caffeine, which is the amount of time that it takes for it to get out of the system or act, go to half of the amount. So let's say you drink a cup of coffee that has 100 milligrams of coffee in it. By 15 hours after drinking that coffee, you will still have 50 milligrams of that cup of coffee that you drank at 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. the next day, right? It will take for you to actually get rid of it from your system or at least reduce it by half and then by half again. A newborn child, a newborn has a 100-hour half-life of caffeine compared to a 16-hour 
half fluff of caffeine, which means that for a newborn child to process that caffeine because they don't have very good processing abilities to the liver, it takes about eight to nine days for a newborn child to completely get a cup of coffee out of their system from their mother. And so what happens is often these children are born and women are drinking coffee and they have problems sleeping. They have, they're crying all the time. They're not, you know, being the angel child that they should be, yet they're being pumped full of coffee every single day and not being able to clear it very well. So it really is a problem for a child's health. Do your statistics um, apply to decaffeinated coffee or how does that work? Well, decaffeinated coffee obviously has many less grams of coffee. It still has some, but it has many less grams of coffee. Although a lot of the times the solvents used to decaffeinate the coffee are going to be very, very toxic and will definitely negatively impact the child and of course the mother drinking it. So decaf coffee isn't an alternative right, in terms of fertility in particular, because there are many other inflammatory compounds that are not caffeine that will have a negative impact on hormonal balance as well. So, you know, anything that you are denaturing, whether you're kind of processing it for removing caffeine or doing any other kind of processing of food or any other beverage, it's going to negatively impact the system. And of course, fertility will be impacted as a result. I imagine this is a very unpopular opinion. I'm the most unpopular person right now. <laughs> but it is the truth, you know, and, and this is the thing that happens is like not many people are willing to talk about it. And also this is the other thing too. You know, you go to your doctor and you say, oh, so tell me, should I stop drinking coffee? As they've got their cup of coffee sitting on their desk, right, they're hardly going to tell you, oh, no, coffee is the worst thing that you will ever drink in the whole entire universe. But it is. <laughs> Since I'm already unpopular, I'll just go in there. And- what about chocolate? Are we allowed to eat that? That's got caffeine in it. Well, you know, it does, actually. Don't, don't take away my coffee <laughs> and my chocolate. What's left for life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the coffee definitely needs to go, but the chocolate, we can kind of get it in there. The, the caffeine amounting chocolate is still there. It's probably in about 10 grams, it's about 20 milligrams of coffee, which is about a fifth of a cup of coffee. Still quite a lot. It is. Mm. It's quite a lot. Especially when you consider how much chocolate you and I eat. I know. That's really interesting because I don't drink coffee. I just I just never have. Yeah. Um, well, that's not true. When I was a lot, a lot younger, like as a teenager, I would drink some, but then I just never got into the habits. It's quite funny saying I'll go out to coffee with people, but I never drink it. Um, <laughs> We've got two quick questions that have come from our listeners for you. The first one is whether you have any any advice for people who are trying to conceive when one of the partners works on a FIFO fly-in, fly-out roster. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we have many of those patients. So yes, I have much advice. <laughs> Just give us the key one. Look, I think that it's do your very best wherever you are. You know, for our FIFO patients, we basically equip them with their, their nutrients, the things that they can do whilst they're away. We give them guidelines to be the healthiest version of themselves wherever they are. So obviously, the best that they can do is going to be better than nothing. And focusing particularly on meals where they are being fed wherever they are working, mm-hmm. it's basing meals on vegetables and protein wherever possible. Avoid everything else. You know, it's it kind of, it's just about simplifying. And the second question that we were asked is, if we are fortunate enough to conceive, what do you suggest for morning sickness? 
Mm, great question. Well, look, there are lots of different things that will help. Acupressure, acupressure points are definitely going to be very useful. If you go online and just put, you know, acupressure for nausea, mm-hmm. it's definitely going to come up with what you can do there. Acupuncture can be really useful for nausea as well. And ginger, don't go past ginger. And I mean, ginger tablets at high doses. And you can eat those as like lollies because that will definitely be necessary in some cases. But ginger in food, there's a tablet. There's many more motion sickness products. Yeah, I was just going to say, are these the ginger travel sickness? Yeah, yeah. I tried those last time. You might need to up the dose. Yeah, possibly. A lot. Yeah. I also like ginger, so I could have it in, you know, like juice. Yeah, but you're not going to get as much as a, a therapeutic as a dose mm. from a food as you are from a tablet. And, you know, if you tried it and it didn't work so much for you, you probably need like 10 times the dose that it says on the label. And that's what I mean. A lot a of lot people of don't ginger. realize that. Exactly. Yeah. So you'd be eating by pound, you know. Yeah, okay. No, no, one, no one likes ginger that much, do they? <laughs> My precise point. So you might want to just stick to the tablets. Great. And to finish up, we have a couple of questions that we would like to ask, which we ask all of our guests. And the first one is, do you have a mantra? Are there words that you live by? Oh my God. Yes. W.H. Murray, the Himalayan Scottish expedition. And it's that quote, you know, the until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always an effectiveness. And it goes from there. It's a beautiful quote. It's one of my most favorite. And it really reminds me on the day to day to just focus on what I'm doing and keep at it because the amazing and miraculous things that happen in life happen from that level of commitment. Lovely. Do you have that on your wall? I do. Yeah, you, I saw you look up and I thought, I wonder if you've got that written up somewhere. Yeah, yeah I do. I actually have it in mo- multiple places, on my desk and on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> You're living by your own mantra. Good job. Now, what's one piece of advice that you would give to professional women who are managing the juggle of their career and their family and also trying to conceive? Pause. Pause. I think space is such an important thing that we underestimate. And it doesn't mean that you have to move to Alaska and decide to completely redo your life. It actually means on a daily basis, just like literally sit with yourself for five minutes if that's all you have and just clear the slate, you know, clear the mind completely and just re-evaluate, you know, what's important, what do I really want, what do I not? What can I say no to? You know, like there are so many things that you can be saying no to right now. And figuring that out is bliss. You know, so that pause and space, I think, is and, and learn to meditate. Oh my God, cry out loud, learn to meditate. <laughs> that would be my recommendation. Oh, thank you so much. I think that's definitely worthwhile. And Lucy and I, funnily enough, have been having conversations only just this morning about the need to say no, which we remind each other of on a fairly regular basis. I might not always be good at listening, but it is good to be reminded. (laughs) Now tell our listeners where they can find you. And you also wanted to mention a special that you have. Oh, yes. So we have an event that we run every few months. It's called the Fertility Challenge. It's a free event. It's online. It's an educational event that runs over a 12-day period. It is life-transforming in so many ways. And we've had thousands and thousands of babies as a result of that. So, you know, anyone who's trying to conceive who wants to participate are more than welcome. As I said, it's free. So the next one starts coming up shortly, actually. 
so it'd be great um, for people to join in. And um, they can find out more information or even register for the challenge uh, at www.naturalfertilitybreakthrough.com. And that's naturalfertilitybreakthrough.com. Otherwise, I can just Google my name, Gabriella Rosa, Gabriella with one L. Brilliant. And we'll also put a link to your summary of your fertile method in our show notes as well. So people can go there to find that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Gabriella. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Please go to your podcast app and subscribe. And this way you will make sure that you don't miss any of our future episodes. And while you're there, if you feel like you would like to, we would really appreciate it if you would rate the podcast and give it a review so that more people can find our podcast. And of course, if you're not already in our Facebook community, come and join us. We're on Facebook at The Juggle Community and you can come and chat to us, tell us what you think about the episode, ask us questions or even give us episode suggestions. Thanks for listening and happy juggling.